I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season one, episode 18, The Shot. What runs through the mind of a dog, not just a dog, but a soldier and a veteran? Now, it is quiet. I am alert. My pack is safe. I see them on the roof of the building. A large cat waits below. The pack is my duty. I protect the pack. I fight and die for the pack. I hold here out of reach of the cat, waiting. It is hot. I am thirsty and hungry, but I will wait until my new man says otherwise. The new man commands less than my soldier. The new man gives commands, but the woman acts like a pack leader. There is only now. There is only the mission. I can fight. I can harass. I can run, but I must protect the pack. My nose is full of the sweet smells of many things. So many smells in this place. The smells of animals. The smell of those birds across the road. The sharp smell of rancid meat, rotting trash and waste. The smell of death. The musky, ammonia reek of cat. So many smells. I wait. I watch. That is my job. I await a signal. The large cat is at rest on the grass, so I move at the edge of the open ground. My pack sees me. My new man makes eye contact. He knows that I am here. I watch. I wait for a command. I wait for my time to do my duty to protect the pack. The old man felt the hot asphalt grit of the roofing signals burning into his backside as he hunched forward with his hands holding his knees. He alternatively watched the lioness preen herself and glanced at K.J. who lay on her back beside him. She had one arm thrown over her eyes, forearm blocking the sun. The hand of that arm was reflexively clenching and unclenching in troubled thought. He straightened and looked around, gathering as much as he could from the view. They were a couple hundred yards from the gravel road. The hills sloped up behind the farm in dense thickets behind a tall fence. He looked at the woman lying there and thought to himself, Here's another one of those leadership moments. He had learned through his life that people naturally turned to him and expected him to lead, to decide, to choose a way forward. At first, he recoiled from it. Who was he to decide the fate of others? He tried to collaborate, to find consensus, and to make decisions as a team. 
But people hated that. For the most part, people were sheep. They looked for strength and wanted to be led. Now he saw it here with this woman. As capable as she was, she just saved his life, in fact. He thought he knew what she was thinking. She was waiting for him to come up with a plan, to set the tone, to save the day. That's the way it had always been for him. Part of why he'd given up on the world. Why he'd rather wander the apocalypse alone, like the anti-hero loner of some fictional epic. Even before the apocalypse, he had turned away from the world, in part, because he didn't want to be responsible for other people's fate. He had been that man, and he didn't want to be that man again. He looked at her. He knew what she was thinking. K.J. lay on her back, reclining, head resting on the angle of the roof peak, one arm covering her eyes, and thought it through. Another crappy situation, she thought, like so many others. This world was just a constant parade of crappy situations and crappy, horrible choices. God help her, she was starting to get used to it. It was becoming a mental game, like she was on some sort of horrific game show. Today's challenge is a humorless lion bent on securing its next meal. How would she get out of this one? Would she? Or would the game win this time? <sighs> Occam's razor, the simplest solution that presents itself, is usually the best one. Push this cackling idiot off the roof and use the distraction to move on down the road. The idea had merit. In fact, on a different day, the lioness would be chewing on the old bugger by now, and K.J. would be carrying her self-preservation off into the sunset. But there was her foot to consider. She had the antibiotics in her pocket, but would they even work? She couldn't expect to run, and what about the dog? She supposed the dog would go down fighting trying to save the old man. It all made option A, the shove the old man off the roof, plan a bit less probable. It wasn't clear whether the foot was healing or whether it would need more work. As nutty as this guy was, he had demonstrated some medical skills. The logic gears and probability trees in her brain ground to a halt. She still needed him. For now. She sat up, stretched her long arms over her head, interlocked her fingers, and leaned from one side to the other like a sleepy, dangerous cat. The old man watched as she shifted her weight and stretched her long, strong frame. He waited for the conversation that he knew was coming. She turned to him and locked eyes. What are you looking at? she said. He held her gaze and didn't flinch. I'm looking at you. He pressed the conversation forward, ready to figure out how we get off this roof and get on with our lives without becoming cat scat. She smiled inwardly, recognizing the persona of a classically trained patriarch emerging. Okay, Gramps, I'll bite. What you got? Can we kill it? The old man stared out into a point in space like he was imagining something and began presenting what he had already thought through in anticipation of this conversation. Well, thinking it through, we might be able to distract it and make a run for it. But with you being hobbled, that's probably too risky of a proposition. He continued, this roof isn't much of a position to be in. I don't think that cat can get up here, but we don't have food or water. 
Maybe we can get to one of the other buildings and barricade ourselves in. Maybe find some weapons. What about your dog? She asked. Or your crossbow? KJ gestured at the dog at the far side of the compound. The old man had left his pack down below when they had to scramble out of harm's way. I thought about that. Bill would be a gamer, certainly, but even a good-sized dog like Bill versus a 300-pound lion wouldn't end well for the dog. And even if I could get to my gear, my crossbow probably would just make it mad. I'd rather find a way out of this. It doesn't involve any of us getting killed. Even the lion. KJ shook her head. So you're saying we can't get away, we can't fight it, and we can't kill it. The old man ignored her and continued. Hey, have you looked at her? He gestured to the dozing cat. She's healthy. She's not starving. Ironically, she's found herself back on top of the food chain. It's not a bad thing to have an apex predator population hanging around to keep the wild pigs in line. There was a robust mountain lion population here before people showed up. Why kill her if we don't have to? Who are we to decide what gets to live in the apocalypse? KJ shook her head again. I'm stuck on a roof in the apocalypse with a nutjob pacifist environmentalist. She turned and spit on the lion. The predator raised its big head and gave her a disinterested look. Yeah, that's right, she said to it and spit again. I could kill it with the jawbone of an ass, he said, unable to suppress the biblical reference. You're an ass, she countered, and your jawbone has been killing me all day with your yapping. The old man smiled at this. He squeezed his knees in tighter and turned away so she wouldn't notice. Here he was, again in another bad situation. It seemed like the world was just a pinball machine of bad situations now. But at least he had company, and he was beginning to think he liked that. He turned his eyes to the lion once again. He thought about the wild animal shows he used to watch as a kid. He had an idea. I think I might have something we could try, he said. Do tell. If you owned a wild animal farm, wouldn't you have a way to control violent animals and keep them from escaping? A big gun, she said. You're close, he nodded. What other kind of gun, he continued. Think about it. Did you ever watch Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom? No, of course not. You're too young. He shook his head. Okay, let's go at it this way. In any wildlife show, how do they capture the wild animal to put a tracking tag on it or something? She focused, and he saw it dawn on her. Tranquilizer. They hit them with a tranquilizer dart. Right, and I bet there's one of those in the office below somewhere. I saw a bottle of ketamine in one of the locked cabinets that we went through. So, we get that, shoot the lion, and move on. It won't be simple, but yeah, basically. It's going to be in a case of some sort that has what looks like a long-barreled pistol in it with some of those syringes with the feathers on the end. He looked at her. A moment passed. You want me to swing back in there and get it? Well, yeah. You've got the proven ability to monkey in and out. I can keep the lion busy and distracted 
and be your lookout. Wow. Send the girl with the bad foot to do the dirty work. The old man jumped up and down on the roof, waved his arms, and shouted at the lion while KJ climbed back into the office to look for the gun. It really wasn't easy. She had to make multiple trips in through the vent, across the rafters, and back into the veterinary area. Each time she returned with an item, she would hand it up to the old man, who would in turn inspect it and tell her what else to look for. She was able to locate the tranquilizer gun case in a locked cabinet on the wall that she bashed open with a fire extinguisher. At one point, the old man had to scramble and yell to KJ to move it because a lion had shifted its attention and was moving in her direction. As if on cue, Bill the dog started barking. Bill had recognized the old man's signal and was distracting the lion. Bill kept himself a safe distance from the large cat but also kept the lion's attention away from KJ and the old man. Bill bought them the time they needed. After what felt like an eternity, but was probably only the better part of an hour, they had the case open and all the pieces laid out on the roof. Between the two of them, they were able to figure out the mechanics of the air gun. The old man filled the pressure syringes with what he hoped was the right dosage. There were four airworthy syringes if the CO2 cartridge held up. Okay, let's do this. We've got four shots, the man said and shifted to a position at the edge of the roof. The old man whistled loudly. Bill, leave it, he hollered. Hold! Bill went silent. It wasn't long before the lion returned her attention to the old man and K.J. on the roof. She paced the ground in front of them. K.J. watched the old man, doubtfully. He braced his feet against the gutter and sighted the air gun at the lion. She was sitting in the dirt, maybe 25 feet away, gazing at him. He focused for a long few seconds and squinted along the gun barrel. He inhaled, held the breath, and squeezed the trigger. There was a popping sound and a puff of dust about three feet to the left of the lion as the needle skittered in the dirt. Damn it, the old man said. That wasn't even close, K.J. agreed. The old man reloaded the gun and increased the intensity of his focus. Another pop and another puff of dust, this time two feet to the right of the lion who watched the syringe bounce with interest. The big cat got up, sauntered over to where the syringe came to a stop and sniffed it. Two left, the old man said, trying to sound hopeful and confident as he reloaded the gun. Give me that, KJ said. You're useless. I'm surprised you haven't shot yourself with that crossbow of yours. The old man sheepishly handed the gun over. The lion had lost interest in the syringe and was now standing, facing them. KJ brought the gun level and sighted. Again, there was the pop of the gun and another puff of dust. But this time, between the lion's legs and it jumped out of the way, startled and annoyed. Reload it, KJ said grimly, handing the gun to the old man. Last one, he said with a shrug, even though he didn't have to. They both knew the stakes now. He reloaded the gun and handed it back to her. We need to draw it in close, she said, looking directly at the old man. I guess by we, you mean me, the old man said in response. He shrugged, just be ready, and started to move towards the edge where the lion waited. The old man, holding onto a corner, hung his legs over the edge of the roof. He scissored them and kicked the wall, 
all while screaming at the lion. The lion walked closer, its tail flicking and its ears back, as if calculating the distance to the old man's dangling legs. K.J. lay prone with the gun over the edge pointed down at the cat. One shot. The lion put its front paws up on the wall and stretched his muzzle up towards them, peeling back its lips to reveal great yellow fangs that had torn plenty of flesh in her life. The big cat was less than twelve feet from them. K.J. squeezed. The dart buried itself in the lion's flank. The big cat jumped, running a quick circle in the dirt, biting at the sight of the intrusion. K.J. grabbed the back of the old man's shirt and pulled him back onto the roof. They collapsed in a heap, breathing hard and letting the tension flow out of them. Nice shooting, Hawkeye, the old man finally said. Never in doubt, K.J. returned. What happens now? We wait, he said. If it's going to work, it'll take a few minutes. Eventually, the big cat started to pant and stumble. She finally fell over, tried to get up, but then relaxed into a fitful anesthetic trance. They kept an eye on her as they climbed back down from the roof and into the office. The lion lay panting on its side. She still struggled to get up, but she couldn't. Bill sniffed at her, but kept his distance. The lion was at their mercy, but they decided to leave the way they came. They had what they had come for. I hope she's okay, the old man said as he pushed the cart down the gravel road at a fairly brisk pace. Janet responded, We should have killed it or tied it up or something. What happens when she wakes up? Are we going to be able to put enough distance between us? We'll be fine. Lions aren't vindictive. She won't range that far. And Bill will let us know if something comes in close. Okay, Gramps, but if the lion shows up, I'm letting her eat you next time, she said, adjusting her long frame in the cart. Bill trotted along at the front, as always, on duty as a canine picket. The old man brightened. I'm thinking we got off fairly well in this adventure. We got some antibiotics for your foot. We didn't get eaten, and the day's not even over. Look on the bright side, he winked at the back of her head and gave the cart a big shove. And I didn't have to kill you, yet, she shouted back, holding on against a rattling acceleration. There's that, too, he agreed with a small smile. The sun set low behind the kudzu-covered trees. It glinted off the river and highlighted the cloud of dust trailing this unlikely tribe. Each day was even parts of a puzzle. A challenge and a gift after the apocalypse. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my survivor friends. How is the apocalypse going? This is Chris, your host for this apocalyptic after party. Thank you for showing up and joining the old man and KJ for an adventure. So I really liked Robert's read of this one. He's got it, man. He's in the groove. I think he got the dialogue just right. And I had written these two chapters about the animal farm. I won't talk about George Orwell here, although I want to. Uh, I wrote these back in 2020 early during the height of the pandemic while I was experimenting with this universe and some of the dialogue to see if it merited the effort of my attention. And I wrote it originally as a two-parter like this with the cliffhanger in the middle with them on the roof. But this time around, I tried to cram it into one episode, but it would not be crammed. So we we broke it up and we left it as the original two-parter with the cliffhanger. And we fleshed out the dialogue a bit. I think it works. I like it. So we're two episodes away from wrapping up season one. We get episode 19, episode 20. That'll put us at about 50,000 words. Imagine that. And like I said before, we're going to take a break after episode 20, and we're going to turn this first season into a paperback, an e-book, an audiobook. And the mechanics of this are not unfamiliar to me. I have done it before, but not for a few years. But I have contracted the starving artist to work on a cover for me, some cover art. I'm pretty excited about that, although I know it's going to be a hard hard slog with a lot of edits. I'm excited about that. And I contracted another young lady to edit the audio scripts back into book form. And the difference between writing for audio read and a regular read is relatively minor, but I think it's worth the the extra help. When I write for audio Especially if I'm not reading it, if somebody else is reading it, I break the paragraphs up into smaller chunks and smaller phrases to reinforce the cadence of the read. So I'm having a nice young lady from Jamaica, actually, I think, go through and pull some of those fragmented paragraphs back together for readability. And also she'll go in and delete all the audio instructions, the notes, like how to pronounce this, that kind of stuff that I put in the, the text there. And she'll look for typos and blatant grammar issues like dangling participles, which I am particularly fond of. I would love also, you know, to have any of you who are readers, you want to support the book launch, that's great. If you're game, I'd love to have you. I could use the typo hunters as well. I'll give you a pre-release of the book. So come on over and join the Facebook group after the apocalypse. Join my team. Let me know. And it's... I. I apologize for making this hard for you, making you work hard. There's a bunch of Facebook groups and pages called After the Apocalypse. Mine is Old Man Apocalypse, all one word. So if you go, technically the link is 
www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash old man apocalypse all one word but if you search on old man apocalypse all one word you should probably get there and another thing that i'll be recruiting for is a book launch team so in a couple of months when all this comes together i'll need help for lack of a better word in marketing although that's kind of a high fluting word for what i'm doing again facebook after the apocalypse old man apocalypse and since we've last talked i've been reading a robert heinlein retro heinlein i always say heinlein but it's heinlein retrospective called requiem which if you are interested you can procure on thrift books for five dollars and 29 cents plus shipping it's a collection of quote-unquote unreleased stories and other stuff and one of the stories is a novella that he wrote in the late 40s early 50s called destination moon and you you may know heinlein from his more famous works like stranger in a strange land time enough for love the moon is a harsh mistress this destination moon novella or short story depending on your appetite is followed in this retrospective it's followed by another short piece penned by heinlein himself about how they made a movie from the story so i curious as i am for the literary obscura of course went out and hunted down the movie, which you can watch on YouTube, it turns out. (laughs) And it's interesting because it's such a time capsule, pun sort of intended, of this sort of religion of hard science that came out of American engineering culture in this post-World War II time period, this golden age of science fiction. And Heinlein was involved in the movie production, and they worked really hard to make sure that the science of it was good science, that it all made sense, that the, the gravity and the exit velocities and all that other stuff actually made sense. And it ends up almost feeling like a documentary of space travel of sorts from the early 50s. And these guys actually ended up being a big influence in turning American cultural knobs towards space travel, cheerleading, if you will that going to the moon was not fantasy, not fiction. No, this was science. We can do this. And if the incompetent bureaucratic government would just get out of the way of us industrialists and engineers, it'll be done. And it needs to be done. Must be done before the Russians do it, right? (laughs) 1950s. But it's a great example of what the sci-fi of the time was all about. They just loved hard science. They thought every problem could be solved by smart, brave, independently-minded engineers. It was this this vision of reimagining the world as fact-based, science-based libertarianism. And Heinlein is famous. You'll hear this quote all the time, so I'll read it to you. The following quote. And I quote, A human being should be able, and I think originally it was a man, okay, because you know where these guys are coming from, but a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. 
Specialization is for insects. Robert Heinlein. Heinlein. They always do that. And yes, if all this sounds sort of pseudo-religious, yeah, it was. And religions were founded based on this, I'm going to call it scientific libertarianism. And these guys believed that the soft sciences of things like psychiatry and religion could be fed into the logically precise meat grinder of science and that what came out the other end would be free of all that emotional claptrap of society. Pure science. And I bet you've all heard of one of these religions called Dianetics, which grew out of this process by Golden Age sci-fi writer of this cohort, L. Ron Hubbard. But you probably haven't heard of the Church of All Worlds, a neo-pagan religion that was founded in California, of course, because, you know, all the crazy heads for the coast in America. But that was based on the writings of Robert Heinlein. So, I don't know what the moral is here, but it could be, uh, careful what you imagine, careful what you you write, <laughs> careful what you believe, because, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and people could be listening. These Golden Age writers, by pouring their beliefs and their realism into their writings, made the writings very compelling. It was more than stories for boys, and quite literally, they changed the world. So, sorry for the long screed, but I find it all very interesting, and I thought you might too. And remember, if you have the, the time and the wherewithal to make a donation at the Patreon group, I have read stories, extra credit stories into audio for members there, so you get those. And join the Facebook group and volunteer to be a typo hunter or a member of the book launch team. And maybe you and I, we can change the world. But above all else... Put one foot in front of the other, confront each morning with joy, and keep surviving. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.